but first a story. You guys like stories? All right, so have you ever heard of a sure thing? Like, is there anything that you know in life, like, this is a sure thing? Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says that this is one that is certain to succeed, a sure bet. What's one thing that we know is sure to happen in our life? Anybody? Death and taxes, thank you. That's, that's the, yeah, the standard response. But how about just horse racing? Well, let me tell you about a story of a horse named Yellow Sam and a bookie named Barney Curley in Northern Ireland. This takes place in 1975. So a lot of you like, you know, reference like, it's old. That's like ages ago. That's like last century. I get it. I'm from that century. So I guess I'm old now. It's okay. I'm I'm coming to that conclusion. I am getting old. (laughs) Anyhow, Yellow Sam was an amateur racehorse Um, He was mediocre at best. Uh, And Barney Curley, a bookie, he was looking to do something that people have tried before but never really were able to do. He was trying to create a sure thing. So what Barney did is he identified this horse, Yellow Sam, mediocre. But here's the thing. He was good at running in high grass and jumping. So... Barney sat down for six weeks straight and sat and planned and plotted. He looked at the map of Northern Ireland. He knew Northern Ireland better than the police knew Northern Ireland. And so he knew all the bookies and all the betting shops. And so he went to all these betting shops. Some of them wouldn't make a bet with him because they knew kind of he was up to something. So then he found 300 people that would actually do some of his betting for him. After six weeks of plotting and planning, he figured out the place he's going to do this this, uh, the coup, betting coup is what they called it. It was going to be at Bellows Town. Now, one thing I was, I was looking at this, they kept saying Beggar's Town. And I'm like, Beggar's Town? What is Beggar's Town? He's got thick Irish, Irish accents. And I had to look it up. It was Bellows Town. I don't know how you get L and G's mixed up, but the Irish do somehow, some way. Anyhow, plotting, planning, finally picks the track. The track was picked because... It had limited information, uh, limited uh, uh, communication access, right? There was one telephone outside that you could call out. There was actually one inside, too. But they had to limit the amount of communication. Every other one, there's video cameras, all kinds of things, you know, communication in and out. What he needed to do was get the, the, the odds for Yellow Sam really high, meaning he wants to get the, the odds for Yellow Sam to like a 10 to 1 or a 15 to 1. That means, keep it simple, if I put a dollar down, I would get 15 back if he wins. Okay? Now, one, people that know who's going to win, they put a lot of money on. So the odds are like you get maybe a $1.50 for every dollar. All right? But you still get 50 cents on the dollar that you put in. So put a lot of money in, you'll get 50 cents additional to what you put in. So he was trying to get the odds high. 12 to 1 would have been great. Race day comes. He picked Michael Furlong, who was one of the best amateur um, jockeys at the time. And then race day. The betting began an hour before the off. What the off is, is when they go, you know, they take off. Nowadays, betting's a little different. Back then, it was, uh, it was set up at the racetrack. 
So the deal is, the racetrack sets the odds. The betting shops all around, people make bets. The information doesn't get back in to the racetrack, all right? So that the odds don't change. So the racetrack odds were the ones that set the standard, right? You with me? Is it making so much sense? Yeah. Hope it making some sense. So he, he sets all this up. We're, we're getting ready for the off. Um, and he had his buddy, Benny, go into the phone booth that was there. And he's like, I'm on the phone with my, my dying aunt. So nobody could get to the phone to call out. So there was no communication. It looked like, it sounds like from the story that the line actually to the inside was cut. So there was no communication outside to all these betting shops. So Barney had all these people putting bets on like five pounds each in all these betting shops. If that information got back to him or back into the, the betters, the bookies at the racetrack, the betting would have been maybe like two to one, maybe six to four. Like you wouldn't make very much money. Barney put everything into this. He put 15,000 pounds, that's everything he had, for this to work. Benny's dying aunt somehow survives a couple minutes before the off, and then they're going. The horses, are, the horses are running. They're racing around this track. Yellow Sam's like midway in the pack. Da -da. To be continued. Okay, okay. So he ran around the track. He made it. He won. He actually won. He set this thing up and Yellow Sam won. Now, the amazing part of this, all the details and the planning that went into this, incredible. It was a sure thing he created. Barney pulled it off. He ended up getting about 300,000 pounds winning. That's about $3.7 million in today's dollar. I mean, it got me thinking, to be honest with you. I was like, plan that all out. Can you plan that these days? You can't plan that these days. You're, you know, everything's instant. It's like, you can't do that. Communication's clean and clear. It's like, not going to happen. But do you know that there's a sure thing for the believer, according to Philippians 1.6? There's a sure thing for the believer, according to Philippians 1.6. You know what it is? It's the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to finish the work he started in you. God will start the work in you and he will finish the work in you. He's making you like Christ, guys. He will start the work. He will continue the work. He will finish the work. Let me be abundantly and utterly crystal clear. If there's anything you take away from this morning, it's this. That the work starts with God's activity. It continues with God's activity and it ends with God's activity. If that's all you get, that's what I want you to know. We, you and I, guess what we are? We're responders. You know what Yellow Sam does when the thing goes, Pah! he runs. That's it. He takes off. He's a responder like we are. Consider yourself God's Yellow Sam. Okay? God sets up the scenario. He sets it all up, and we are to respond. Now, God's at work in everything in your life. That's what this is saying. There's everything and anything that's going on in your life, God's at work in. There's nothing that he's not at work in, right? It's the littlest things. You stub your toe. Somehow, someway, he's at work at that. I'm not sure how, but he is. He's at work in stubbing your toe. Okay, it works out for his glory and in our good. 
We must learn to interpret all things through the God's at work in me lens. But how is this done? How do we do this? Kids, I want you to help me here. All right? There's three things that we got to do in order to interpret all things through the God's at work in me lens. So kids, we got to see the... Mm. We got to see the work of God, all right? Put your hands up to your face. We got to see it. Muscle memory helps you remember, I'm telling you. Now, if you're really special, you can go like this. I can't really do that. It's hard. Kaylin, thank you. Good. All right, we got to see the work of God. We got to believe the work of God in us. Believe. And then we got to respond. Okay, simple, guys, simple. See the work of God, believe the work of God, and respond to the work of God. Now, Guys, I believe the truth in this verse is going to set some of you free from worry, anxiety, doubt, fear, addiction, and the like regarding your life, circumstances, and your future in following Christ. God wants to see you, or I believe God wants you to see that the power to follow him didn't start with you and won't end with you. He will transform you along the way until Jesus brings you home, or he returns. Now, how do we see the work of God? Okay? we got to look with our eyes, right? These two things are tied together, seeing and believing, right? Do you remember what happened to um, Thomas? You remember the story about Thomas? He said, unless I see the holes in Jesus' hands, unless I feel the hole in his side, I, I will never believe. But you know what happened when he did see him? He went the furthest of all the disciples. He carried the gospel further than any one of those disciples. So we have to see, got to believe, and then respond to what God's doing. Thomas did that. We also have to look back and see, guys, how did you get here? Let's see how you found yourself here today. How did you get here? Who brought you here? Who told you about Jesus? Who changed your view about Christ? This is your salvation story. Think about who was the influence. Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Was it your grandmom? Personally, my... Uh, my grandmom was a big influence in my life. Try not to do this. <clears throat> my grandmom, hey, sweet grandmom, hey. She, I was brought to her house a lot of times. Um, when I was young, my, my parents got divorced, and it was very difficult. I don't wish that on anybody, and I know there are people here that have been a part of that, and it's hard. It's hard, and it's painful. My whole life, I felt like was falling apart. But I do remember my grandmother being faithful to preach the gospel to me. She helped me to see that I was a, a sinner in need of a savior. She helped me to see that God loved me. Kids, you guys know John 3.16? Yes. So let's say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
just near and dear to my soul. Now, I would, I would have to memorize that first in order to get like a plane or some kind of toy. I don't know if you're, you know, you, you guys do that. It's good. Parents, it's good to bribe your kids with stuff like that. <laughs> there is a limit to which, how much stuff you should bribe them with, but it's not a bad thing to give them rewards for memorizing scripture because God's word does not return void. Ever. Ever. That helps me to know my Savior. I was a young boy, and I'll tell you, when my parents were getting divorced, my world was falling apart. And I, I asked the question. I remember this. I was on the end of my bed, and it felt like hate. It felt like... It felt like... I felt like my world was coming apart. And I sat down on the end of my bed, and I said, Lord, Why? Why are you letting this happen? Why is this going on? What have I done? And then I felt the biggest warm hug from the Spirit of God. I said, Joe, I got you. I think I must have been eight years old. <laughs> the kindness of God to me was that he showed me his kindness. He showed me his love. My grandmother was faithful. My parents tried to be faithful to tell me about Christ, to tell me about the salvation in Jesus. So we got to look back and see. I can look back and see that. Can you? What do you see when you look back? God helps us to see the work inside of us. I saw that God started that work in me at a young age. How about you? When did God start the working in your heart? When did he draw you to himself? <clears throat> All right, for those of you who have the Bible, kids, John 6, 44. Ready to go. I love hearing the, the pages flip. I like Kenny. I'm agreeing with that. Something really spiritual about it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It says, <laughs> No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus is saying this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Guys, God drew you to himself. we got to look back and see that. You didn't find yourself here because of your good works, of your ability to get you in the right place. As we like to say sometimes, our damnable good works <laughs> would be just that. They would damn us. Nobody gets us. Nobody gets to God by their works. Nobody gets to God by what they've done. But we have to see that. Okay? And then from Titus 3, 5. Titus 3, 5. Ready to go. It says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Guys, none of us, our good works don't get us any standing in God. We do what we do because of what he's done, not to get us there. We do what we do because he's done the work in our hearts and he changes us. We do have to be able to see this. You probably came to a, a, a knowledge of Christ because you saw your need for a Savior. Okay, you saw your need for a Savior. Next one. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We at one time saw this. If you're a believer today, you saw this at one time. But it doesn't stop there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We saw this. We need to see this. It's important that we see this, right? The Spirit of God is at work, regenerating our hearts. A new believer is opened. Their eyes are opened. The gospel illuminates their need for a Savior. And so it is with you. So the one who's writing this, Philippians, is Paul. Used to be Saul, right? Do you remember what Paul was doing before he became, excuse me, what Paul was doing before he became Paul? Yeah. He was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. Paul is writing this because he sees, he saw what he was doing to the church. He saw how he persecuted God's church. He was trying to kill believers. Okay? He can testify that he who began a good work in him is faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Like, he knows who he used to be. He saw it. He used to be Saul. That does rhyme, kind of. Now he's Paul. He looked back and he saw that I was persecuting, but I see God's work. You know what happened to him? Remember he was riding? Kids. <laughs> riding. And then what happened? Pfft. He gets knocked off his horse. He's on the ground. And this voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can't see anything. The people he was with heard him. And he's, and he's saying, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he gave him instruction. He said, go into this city, and there's going to be a, name, a man there for you, and he'll tell you what to do. Paul was riding on his horse, on his way, doing his thing, thinking he was actually serving God. And I wonder how many of you are kind of on your horse, riding, doing your own thing, going your own way. Does God knock us off our horses to help us see who he really is? Yeah, he does. He does. Now, the irony here is Saul was made blind in order to see. Get that? God made him blind. He blinded him. So for three days, he was blind. He didn't eat any food, didn't take any water, didn't, he, just, he was blind. And then he saw, like, oh, my goodness, I've been persecuting the risen Savior. Like, I've been persecuting Jesus. Some of you need to be knocked off your horse in order to see. There's things going on in your lives that you're like, you know what? I'm doing it my way. Paul was doing it his way, but God knocked him off his horse. Quick story. Some of you guys know that I wrestled in high school and college and had some success with it. Um, but I would say behind the, the veil of that was this lingering, I'm pretty good. I don't know if you guys can relate. you got areas in your life you're like, I'm pretty good at this. I'm, you know, I'm the man. 
I'm going to be honest, guys. I, I did think that. I, there was part of me that I thought, like, I have a lot of athletic ability, and I'm going to use it for my glory. Well, about a year ago, I was playing soccer and going up a guy probably about 100, times, 100 pounds heavier than me after a ball. And I ran and I, uh, you know, jammed him, and he jammed me back. But this time, <laughs> this 250-pound man jammed me as I was stepping, just like that. And it went, pop, pop. Snapped my ACL and my meniscus. I went down. And it's been interesting since then. Uh, God's been kind to help me see that my identity is not in what I can do. And just like you, your identity is not what you can do. It's who you are in Christ. But God used that, right? God used that to help grow me and help me to see, one, that he's in charge, <laughs> that I'm subservient to things that he's doing. God intervened. Um, and it's good. He's good to intervene. We need to see it. We need to believe it and then respond to it. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, guys, in order to see what God's doing in us, we need others. How many of you can like, how many of you would say, I have a perfect picture of my life? I know what's going on. I can see clearly what's happening in my life. Great. None of you raising your hand. That's good. That's the reality, guys. God's called us into a body, right? A body of believers so that we can help one another to follow Christ, right? To help us to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, you're part of a body. That means you're not alone. How many of you feel alone? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you guys feel alone? If you're feeling alone, that might be for a couple reasons, and I don't know what that is. But what I do know is that God wants to bring you close to him. God wants to do a work in you to make you and, and help you understand that you're part of a body. The body of Christ is one of the greatest places in the world. You know why? Because we're all looking at Jesus. We're not looking at ourselves. We're all trying to follow him, not follow our dreams, so to speak. And I think you know what I'm saying. I'm not in it for me. I'm in it for him and his glory. Guys, there's, there's ways in us, though, that, that we need to see so that we can appropriately follow Christ. Paul's speaking to the, the Philippians, and he's saying, you know, and I'm sure of this, um, that he who began a good work in you. Is that you singular or you plural? Right, it's plural. Remember that, guys, whenever we're reading the New Testament, like these churches, these are, this is BGC. God's speaking to BGC this morning. He began a good work in you, BGC, and he's faithful. He's going to complete that work in you guys. He's going to complete that work in you. But it's lived out in community. Now, what would you say it means to live in community? Do you guys have community? Does anybody know your dirty laundry? Anybody know the deep, dark secrets of your life? I hope they do. 
Because in the gospel community, there's one place we go. We go to Christ. We go to the cross. You know, we need other people to help us see. In times of temptation, we need help pe people to help us see. In times of struggling with addiction or fear or anxiety or worry or doubt, we need each other. We need help. If nobody knows the intimate issues of your life, then you are missing out. You're missing out on the gospel community that's here for you. But I wonder, if you're like me, sometimes I don't want people to know my deep, dark secrets. I don't want people to know my struggles. There's been a particular struggle in my life that it's been for almost three decades. When we talk about this, when you sin, and like it's like the sin that knocks you off your feet, you're just like, oh, God, I failed again. You're going to throw me out this time? Are you going to get rid of me now? I screwed up again. Do you know what God wants to do with you? He says, come here. Come here. I love you. And it says in 1 John that he, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He says, come here, come in. Guys, there's things that you're struggling with. I know there's things you're struggling with and you're afraid to bring them out. Why are you afraid to bring them out? Because you don't want somebody to know your, your dirty laundry. You don't want it to be exposed. Guys, that's exactly what the gospel does to us. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. God begins a work in us. He's going to bring us to completion. Now, my question for you is, what does that mean, completion? Kids, I'll ask you this question because you'll probably answer it. Kids, who is the only complete man? Jesus. Thank you. Good. Good. Right. You guys know this. He is the only complete man. Sword drill. James, one, two through four. Why do we have trials in our lives? It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Who is the only complete one? Jesus. Jesus, okay. If he's the only complete one and God's going to complete the work he started it, what's the aim? Being like Jesus. Now, you guys know what this is? Okay, how many of you can say you can, you can solve this? All right, cool. How many of you, like, I'm saying Rubik's Cube. Like, this thing's pretty cool, I'll be honest with you. How many of you say, look at this and be like, I have no idea? <laughs> Good, that's great. Caitlin, come here. So the reality is, this scripture is like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube but you don't understand how to solve a Rubik's Cube. For those of you, probably like maybe 10, 10, 15%, maybe somewhere in that realm, that know how to solve a Rubik's Cube, it's actually not that difficult. It really isn't. In the time I'm sharing this with you, she'll solve the, the Rubik's Cube. She's a child. Well, she's 10. She's smart. But it's a process. Guys, it's really a process. What I believe what God wants to share with us this morning is that 
Becoming like Christ is a process. You know how he's doing it? He's doing it through our trials and our circumstances. God works all things for our good and his glory, for those who are called according to his purpose. Turn to me, turn with me, Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, there's not one thing that he doesn't use. It's everything. Every last, thank you. Good job, Kaylin. <laughs> Are you looking at your walk with Christ like it's some confusing thing? You might be. It's because you don't understand what the end goal is. You don't understand the process. God this morning in Philippians 1.6 wants to tell you, I'm going to start it. I'm going to finish it. And I'm going to empower you all the way through to do it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. God's going to finish that Rubik's Cube that he started. Like, we were a mess, you know. It's just, like, all over the place. I'm going to try to mess this thing up really bad. Like, yeah. It's, like, really how we start. But it feels like it gets done over and over and over again. Right? Like, we're constantly solving the Rubik's Cube. God's constantly doing it in our hearts. We constantly mix it up, and then he's constantly fixing it. But we got to see that, guys. We need to see what God's doing, God's activity, all right? See what he's doing. We got to believe what he's doing, all right? We got to believe. Like Thomas, when you see, you have a choice. I look at the McDonald's commercials, and I got a choice. I'm not going there. Sorry for all you McDonald's fans. I'm sorry. But if I see a Chipotle commercial or a Chick-fil-A commercial, because I like both of them, I'm like, yeah, that's good. I like that. I'm going there. You convinced me. I'll eat your food. All right? Once we see something, we have a choice to what we do with it. Do we let it in or we keep it out? Guys, in our lives, there's so many things coming at you. Let me ask you this. What are the things you're tempted by in this world? What in this world tempts you? Now you got that thing? Why does it tempt you? Why does it tempt you? There's a lot of reasons. There may be plenty of reasons. Those are the things that you want to ask. God, what, is, what are you doing? Guys, there was a temptation for me for certain things in my life before that I felt like, in, like powerless to fight. I can stand here today saying... I don't go there anymore because the power of God is at work in my heart and he's taught me to say no, to renounce ungodliness, to say no. Guys, but it's a fight. In my marriage, I'll tell you, I know the picture. It was, we were married, it was two years. And I was like, why is this so hard? This is not supposed to be that hard. Little did I know that I, I, I grew up with a lot of misconceptions, wrong notions, just un, you know, misunderstandings, um, wrong beliefs. I'm called to lay down my life. I don't know that I really wanted to lay my life down. Some of you guys who know me know my, my wedding story was like, it was like 
God bless Megan. I'm just going to say, God bless Megan. Thank you, Megan, for loving me the way you have. And um, thank you for all you wives who love your husbands. Thank you, because we're a mess. I'm a mess, and I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner trying to get to heaven. And I, I just want to encourage you guys to come along. We're, we're trying to follow Christ. We're trying to live for Him. But we're a mess. And you know what? He's at work in us. He does it in community. He does it with each other. If you're not willing to be vulnerable, then don't expect to change. If you're not willing to, to expose the junk in your life, don't expect to change. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So let's backtrack. I, I was struggling hard. Remember that little boy on the end of his bed asking God why? Maybe 30 almost years previous to that. 20 years, sorry. Decades. The little boy was asking why God. Well, in my relationship with Megan, it's mostly my problem, I'll tell you. I said it, see? <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> Guys, I struggled hard because I, I just I didn't know how to be married. I didn't know how to give up my life. This world taught me how to take my life, take what you want, be on your own, be your self-made man, get yourself to where you want to go. Isn't that sound great? It's not true. As a believer, it's not true. God's the one that gets us there, right? So being married, struggling hard. I look back and I say, God, you put me here. I trust you. I trusted you to marry Megan. I trust you the whole way. This is hard and difficult. And then he said, Joe, I allowed you to see a divorce so that you wouldn't go there. Some of you are going through hard times. Some of you are struggling. It's hard. I know it's hard. Jesus knew it's hard. He came here to give his life so that we could be the benefit, uh, uh, recipients of his grace. Like, he made a way where there was no way. He made a way where there was no way. Guys, I, I can testify today with both my parents here that God is at work in them. He was at work in me. He never stops working in you. Never. Not once will he stop until he sees, until you see him face to face. So we have to see what God is doing. We have to believe um, what he's doing. We have to believe the scriptures. Some of you guys need to believe the scripture, okay? This is the inerrant word of God. You need to believe it. I need to believe it. I need to get up every morning and put my face in here so that I'm transformed. I can tell you that because I'm being transformed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're being transformed right now. Praise God. Praise God. We are no longer giving in to sin. We are no longer living just the way the world wants us to live. And we're serving Christ Jesus. And his name is being famed. Are you with me? Do you want his name to be famed? That's what we want. We want his name to be famed. Can I get the band to come back up? Part of it. God's working in every circumstance in your life, guys. There is not one circumstance that he's not working. But there's things that we need to do, right? We got to see, we got to believe, and then we have to respond, right? We got to respond. Here's some of the things I think I, I want to help 
in exposing some of the lies, right? God gives us what we need for life and godliness, but we tend to believe lies. Some of you are believing lies right now in your life. And this is where I think God wants to speak to your heart. The garden lie. God's not at work in me because I keep on sinning. I don't know how I'm going to stop and partially don't want to stop. Is that you? How about the devil's convincing distraction lie? I don't have time to deal with all this stuff because there's too much other stuff going on. How about the world's all there is lie? The world has so much pleasure to offer me. Following Jesus seems hard and restrictive. It's a lie. He says, I'll give you life. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If you're not experiencing abundant life in Christ, I'm not saying everything's roses and flowers. No, that's not it. I'm talking about the struggling, the fighting to believe what's true. Guys, we are at war. This is not an easy, simple life. If you're trying to live for ease and comfort, I, I don't know what to tell you other than go ahead. Do everything you can for ease and comfort. You're not going to follow Christ in the end. It's not going to be Jesus that you're wanting. It's your ease, your idol. Kill it. Cut it off. Throw it out. Do what you got to do. Be honest about it. You get trapped in the comparison lie. How's God at work when I'm not like others or don't have what they have? You compare yourself. Then there's the fool again lie. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Started the Spirit's work in you, but now you're going to complete it by your own doing. None of us are going to complete the work in us. Like it says, Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So where do you need God's Spirit to help you? Where do you need His redeeming work in your heart? Where do you need to confess? Where do you need to say, Lord, I, I, I've been doing this thing and I know it's wrong and I need, just need to give it over to you. Take a minute before we, before we sing. Just a moment here. And close your eyes and just ask the Holy Spirit. He's here. Ask the Holy Spirit to quicken that thing to you so that you would see it and you believe God's at work in this specific area. And then we'll talk about responding. So take a minute.